The topics and themes on our program are generally adult in nature and may contain explicit language. Therefore, these conversations may not be suitable for younger audiences. What does being typed out mean to you? Telling your own story. It's just really, truly being who you hey, are. Hey, this is me. This is who I am. And Labels this is my space. Categorize. So we can be identified and for that reason to be excluded. The way that we integrate people into society or do not. To literally write my name and leave my ink print in the world of stories to come. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and uh, I exist. This is the Typed Out, Typed out. Typed out. Typed out Podcast. You're listening to the Typed Out Podcast. I am your host, Nick Polifrone. Every week, Typed Out aims to deliver conversations that seek to expand the boundaries of understanding and acceptance. My guest today is Zimbabwe-based illustrator, author, and resident Typed Out comic book aficionado, whom you may remember from our Stan Lee Memorial episode last December. Returning to the podcast to chat about his premier novel, Misfortunism, is the hilarious and wildly talented Bill Masuku. Hey, Bill, welcome back. Hey, thank you for having me. This is aficionado. I don't know about that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. All I could think of is when Marchant Priscilla and I spoke with you for the Stanley episode and you laid down all the knowledge on Superman and our minds were blown. Like just your depth and lexicon of the superhero world is remarkable. And I always thought like I knew a lot. And then just in the 10 minutes of conversation that we had with you, I was like, and I know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had I had so much fun being with you guys. You guys are so much um, fun to be with. I think I like as a published author, fun is the wrong word. Um, but you are you are fun. There's there's a there's a playfulness and an honesty about talking to you. Um, that I really appreciate, and I, I love coming back um, to do it again and again. Yeah, likewise. And it's just, that's the way that we approach everything, right? Is like with that sort of genuineness, uh, realness, but also keeping it fun and lighthearted because truly at the end of the day, it's like you want to be able to talk about important things, but then smile afterward. And that's how we generate that connection. So it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, and one thing while it's fresh on my mind is Avengers Endgame which that trailer just dropped last week. And I would love to pick your brain about that. How excited are you? I, oh, Lord, oh, my God. Like, okay, so I don't, after after Black Panther, um, I don't like watching all of the trailers. I used to do that because, you know, I'm looking for all the Easter eggs and things that they would lay out um, yeah. and, and things to look for when I get to the movie. But more and more, I'm like, I just want to enjoy this movie as blind as possible. So I'll watch the first two trailers. Uh, the first one, I don't even need to talk about that. It was amazing because everyone was expecting it. Um, it like the year before when the Infinity War trailer dropped, no one was expecting it to drop at that time. And when it did, yeah. obviously it broke it broke YouTube records. Um, and then... Everyone was waiting for the Endgame trailer. There were no set photos. There were no press releases. It was like same time the next year. And people were like, where is this trailer? I need this trailer. I need my fix. Yeah. And then we did get our fix. And we're like, okay, cool. We're cool. We don't need any more. Like I saw like long conversations about how, you know, no one, no one else was much another trailer. And my friend called me from, from Cape Town. And all he said was, 
the end game trailer two is out and then he hung up and i screamed <laughs> i screamed rude <laughs> no but he knew he knew that i was gonna hang up as soon as he finished so i ran to my laptop like typed in av and then my computer knew like all three of us just knew it was the day and i watched this thing so good yeah and i don't have the adjectives verbs adverbs nothing for what i was feeling in the moment but i was blown away i'm ready i'm ready like i had the shakes i had the shakes this movie is is the culmination of like any any nerd's dream of sequential storytelling and i'm excited are you are you excited i am so excited i was actually just chatting with a friend and between the Avengers Endgame trailer and Game of Thrones starting this weekend, which apparently the cast has come forward and said that fans were are going to need therapy based off of everything that happens. Oh. I'm going to be dead come May. Like everyone I love in like comic book slash fantasy world is probably going to be brutally murdered. And yeah, I'm just going to need to be seeking therapy for it. So am I ready? Yes. Am I? Do I think I'm ready? Probably not. <laughs> but. So, Bill, this podcast is made possible by Audible.com, which is the leading provider in audiobook content. And as an avid reader, I know you must have a recommendation for our listeners. Uh, so the one that comes straight off the top of my mind is the Aragon uh, books, which is actually called the Inheritance series. Um, yes. it, it was actually one of my favorite books because everyone else was reading Harry Potter and there was this weird craze about magic. And when you're, when you're not up to date with a book series, people who have spoken about it have already taken away the plot twists and whatnot. Um, but I was still super into fantasy. Like that, that's my thing. And I, I looked up books like Harry Potter and I found the Aragon books. Uh, not quite, not quite the same, but Really, the the the, int- the intricacy of world building and the character relationships and the the motivations, not, while all not unique because all stories have always always been told, is the it's the arcs and the hows of how we get from point A to point B, that really set my heart on fire and it's still affecting me today. Like the way I craft my magic systems is the same way that um, I learned from Christopher Paolini from um, I think the second book. Um, So definitely I would recommend the entire series, all four books. Great. And listeners, if you go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash typed out, you can listen to one of the books in the Inheritance series by Christopher Paolini, as recommended by Bill Masuku. And I believe Christopher Paolini wrote that book when he was the first one, Aragon, when he was like 14 or something, which what? is remarkable. Yeah, what? if I if, if memory serves me correctly, I think he wrote that book when he was a teenager still. Because um, somebody was saying to him like, or saying like how he was bored and his parent was like, go, you know, write a book or something. And he took that literally and went and wrote a book. Wow. So, and it published this series. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out, you can listen along for free. So, Bill, I have a, another question for you, which is a question that I've been asking each of the podcast guests in recent history. And that question is, what does being typed out mean to you? And I'm kind of throwing you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. I was about to say, like, you, you're putting me on the spot, but I came here voluntarily. Um, 
what does type dot mean to me? Uh, it, it, it means a couple of things. Um, if I was to take it metaphorically, it's that in, in a world that already has almost every type of narrative, sub-narrative, there's still a time and a place for me to write my story, to be typed out, to, to, to literally write my name and, and leave um, my ink print in the world of stories to come. Like there's still space for that. Um, as much yeah. as as much as great great stories have been told, it, to the point where you know you you theorize the hero's journey, there's still something untold about the individual, and there's something important and validating about my my words, my typing, um, to be visible. Um, so that's what it means to me. Yeah. And the thing is, is that everyone has a story to tell and there's always a place for you to share that story. In fact, I would argue that like the world is not complete until you have left your imprint in that way, mm. you know? So yeah, no, thank you. And sorry to put you on the spot, but it's just, I love asking that question and seeing the answers that people come up with. I'm eager to talk to you about misfortunism and, you know, the the depth of that book and what you're excited to to share with your soon-to-be readers in that way. What is it that you hope to achieve through your own personal storytelling? Like, what is it that Bill Masuku wants to share? What, what am I hoping to achieve, give, and connect? Um, I'm definitely... I'm definitely hoping that there's someone out there that... Is is struggling with? Uh, well, I don't hope they're struggling with mental health. <laughs> I, I, I hope. I hope if. I hope if they are struggling, um, and they feel alone and powerless, that they are aspects to their daily routine that, hey, first and foremost, speak to them and say, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling in this very specific way, and no one understands." Because I think one of the one of the more isolating factors of mental health is that you're going through these very niche specific things um, that you can't really explain to someone who hasn't been through it themselves. Um, and just, just to have that feeling of, no, I get it. I get that when you, when you get ready for your day, like even if you're trying very hard to overcome trapping yourself in your own room, you can shower, get your books ready and get to the front door, or even get to your bedroom door and still still feel very trapped within this temple of your own misery um yeah. and it's a it's okay um and it's not the end of the world um but that doorway um doesn't always have to be a physical doorway um these these temples that we make for ourselves to keep ourselves safe are defense mechanisms against things that we are a feeling um in in, in in ways that we don't understand. Um, oh, let me not cry. Um, <laughs> and oh, so the extended narrative is two things. Um, from my personal from my personal journey, uh, one of my counselors said to me, "Why don't you weaponize your anxiety?" And I was like, "Am I a X Men? What is? What do you mean, Karen?" Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean, Karen? <laughs> um, I love that. Um, 
And the way that she explained it is that, well, it is it is a change, a, a chemical change, and even like a um, a step change in your thinking, um, like anxiety. It's it's um, hyper thought basically, and it's like, yeah, you're hyper thinking, but are you able to use that in a good way? And yeah. it really did change my mindset. And I now, when I'm walking long distances. Um, I, I overthink about specific things and I create these scenarios, not necessarily about myself, but about, um, whatever I'm targeting myself at. And it felt like I could tell the future about these specific things because I'm creating so many scenarios that are plausible and possible. Um, and then if anxiety is the ability to see a future, however warped that is, then depression is the ability to see the past. Whoa, that's such an amazing way to put that. Like, you know, my, my counselor, like she, and like we lost contact after I left university and, and like she was a trainee at the time. Like they should be paying her full time after that session. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and... What, what really validated those thoughts was um, I saw the stand-up poet and he pretty much said the same things. And, and it really goes back to that you're going through something super specific and for someone else to say it out loud without being prompted, it feels very validating. And I want, I want my book to, to speak to people in that way. Yeah. Even especially if they don't know that they go... Like one of the bigger things about depression is that it accumulates um, against your, your knowing um, and by the time you're like, I, I think I should get help, you're really quite deep into it. So I want someone to pick up this book and and see things within themselves. Um, I'd also have a good time with like magic and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's again, it comes back to what we were talking about in the beginning is like the, the seriousness, the realness of it, but then also finding the fun and the positivity in the situation, you know, and not just consigning yourself to your own misery in that way. It's it's meeting each day with a new face, a new attitude and saying that I can get through this, you know, and that's why we do have everyday superheroes like counselors, people like Karen that can help us find the good in those scenarios, you know, and even through art, like your book, where it's like, yes, you might not necessarily expect to find words of encouragement in a fantasy novel, but they very well could be there, you know, with this badass magic system, put behind them and this concept of weaponizing your anxiety is so cool in the way that it's like yeah give it give it voice give it something that rather than repressing it because i feel like that's the societal uh approach is like ignore that it's there you know if you don't pay attention to the thing the elephant in the room it will disappear which we know doesn't happen that way it's not until you acknowledge something that you can actually begin to tackle it and so by addressing something like mental health, like depression, like anxiety, and kind of reimagining it in a way can hopefully maybe help lessen that, help lessen the pressure of it. That's the hope and the dream. Yeah. Well, can you please provide like a, 
a brief synopsis without any spoilers of what we can expect in Misfortunism? Uh, a brief synopsis without... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have um, you test that pitch for your for your book launch. Man, like, okay, I'm making, I'm making the elevator pitch now because like... Yes. I closed all my documents before this and literally I had the blurb in front of me. Um, <clears throat> Misfortunism is set in a modern day world where people who have gained the ability to weaponize aspects of their own misery to change the world have begun to emerge. What does this mean for the general society? And what does this mean for people who have yet to discover themselves? Welcome to the world of misfortunism. Ooh, interesting. What's an example of how someone's misery becomes magic? There's uh, the the first um, antagonist. He's this uh, guy called Holy, with an E. Um, and he his his outfit is completely pure white, and it's humming. It's humming all the time, and he has got holes in his palms and his feet, like the size of a coin, um, to the point that the way his hands work, like they shouldn't work like that. Um, but I'll. I'll talk about that um, in the next book. I always feel like that's yeah. a cop-out. I'll talk about it in the next book. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, I'll uh, lead him to buy the sequel. <laughs> of, of course. Um, and he... And this is backstory that I'm giving you exclusively. Woo! Typed out. Exclusive. Ooh, thank um, you. Yes, everybody. <laughs> um, he's, he, he was tortured a lot as a child um, in, a, in a church um, setting. Like, I don't want to say orphanage. Um, yeah. but definitely the, the people who were looking after him were very, um, heavy with their faith and, and punishment systems. So it becomes a point of your, your punishment is also your identity. Um, and that's how you understand the world. Like, you know, you, you fought, the reason why we have religions is so you have frameworks of, of morality, or at least that's how, um, they're supposed to be. Yeah. And now he has this idea of heaven that he can create because he has the ability to change reality based on his misfortune. And he, he has this vision of heaven. Like there's so many misfortunists out there in the world that understand misery to such a depth. Why can't we make the world better um, and just make heaven, like literally just make it. No one else has to die. No one else has to suffer. No more wars, no more anything. But yeah. the the catch is that in order to bend the world that much, we need more misery as a payment. It's a payment system. Like you exchange your suffering for your ability to affect um, the natural laws of physics. So he goes on this whole thing um, of killing people, which is, it sucks. I mean, it's, it's bad. That's how you know he's, that's how you know he's the bad guy. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, is he the main antagonist? <laughs> He's not the main antagonist, but it's. Um, I wanted it to be an introduction to the thinking behind because he doesn't think he's a bad guy. Like from from what I was before, I said before I said he kills people. Like I was on board. I was on board with all of your things. Like yeah. no, that's that's a good idea. Like why don't you? And and the thing is, like you have to pay a price in order to do these grand things. Yeah. And there's there's like there's actually a, a a chemical thing about your brain that stops you from being angry or upset for long periods of time. Um, it forces you to be apathetic. It's why the Hulk like has limits to his strength. Um, mm. 
but that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> so, so, I'm so sorry. No, um, no, no. I love it. See, um, this is what I mean when you are our resident comic book aficionado. Yes. Um, so there are limits to how much a person can suffer before either they physically hit their limit and die or mm. they emotionally hit an apathetic point and they just stop giving cares in the world. Yeah. Um, to circumvent this, um, his natural thing is that, and you get this if you understand mental health, is that he's an empath. And so he, when he's torturing people, he doesn't, like, he straight up doesn't kill anyone, like, for no reason at all. He's torturing them for long periods of time in order to feed off of their sufferance. And that is how he's developing his large reserves in order to do this grand turn, turn the earth into heaven thing. Um, so we open the book up with a torture scene, sadly. And the way his, aside from the empathy thing, because that's more his, that's more a mental health thing, um, the way his, um, his haunting, his misfortunism works is that the humming clothes are actually humming like church hymns. It's just you can't hear it unless he like fights you. Um, yeah. Because constantly to him, like he's thinking back to, you know, how he is doing a bad thing. Um, and he can hear like church bells and and, and this this very Christian um, themes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that are, are the, the backbone of his misfortunism. And that's how... That's how I'm developing each character individually. It's like, yeah, we we all suffer in in generic ways, but your your personal journey is definitely how you express yourself in the world. Yeah, and it's built off of very specific stuff, right? So like it might be there might be like a common term or or blanket term for something that we both experience, but the root cause is going to be something very specific. Mm. You know, as opposed to like just I don't know, an, a chemical imbalance in the brain or something like that. But it could be like, for example, you know, this church hymn vibration that's coming from his suit is something very specific to him that is probably triggering him more than it might trigger someone else mm. because he's got that association to it. Oh, my God, you get it. I love you yes. so much. Yeah, I'm here for you. I am so excited for this book and I can't wait to read it because the, the concept is fascinating. And one thing I need to know from you, Bill, is this going to be turned into a graphic novel? Oh, you're asking a lot. Um, that's, bet <laughs> <laughs> that's between you and God. Um, right? From um, my lips to his ears, right? Of course. Um, hopefully. Hopefully it goes further than that. Um, I, would love, I would love for... A movie? Uh, a synergy... Uh, ooh, ooh, who got money for that? Ooh, please. Please, child. <laughs> ooh, child. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like definitely a movie because like I, there's like a there's a gap between these very closely related markets where in the States you see, OK, someone wrote a book. It may have been like a while ago, but if it gets popular enough, you know that it's going to be a series or a movie yeah. because there's that synergy between those creative industries. Yeah. I want to see that definitely in Southern Africa. I don't know about up upper Africa where like Nigerians have a monopoly on, 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 on Nollywood, but definitely in this area, there is like a disconnect between someone writing a book and someone saying, Hey, either we can make a lot of money off this, or this is a story that we can retell in different mediums. Yeah. So you don't see very many audiobooks, You don't see very many um, series. You don't see very many animated things. Obviously, because of infrastructure and third world things, but 
there is potential for those things because movies are being made podcasts are being done um audiobooks are and left right and center like i mean the end goal is netflix yes um i'd be super happy if someone is like hey you know have you seen the whole the whole of season one because it dropped today <laughs> that would make me happy like i'm not trying to cry right now but like that <laughs> that is that is the end goal of of someone looking at your work and being like i want to adapt this yeah Bill, there's one thing I would love to ask you about, which is something that we brought up in a previous episode that unfortunately was never aired uh, just due to um, bad sound quality. And that is how you were introduced to drawing, if you wouldn't mind sharing that story, because you are self-educated, right? Yes, I am. So the question like that I had asked the first time around was whether or not you had, you know, pursued your own education in becoming an illustrator or if you had been taking classes and you said that there was some difficulty uh, with your parents. Yeah. Um, so my dad was super against drawing. Um, I mean, that's that's like the fly note slash heading of the of the story. But yeah. but really, um I I learned very young that drawing is a part of me and it's it's who I am now. Yeah. Um but it's not a dream job you can have in like a third world country where it's hard to get out. You can't get out when you you draw Popeye characters. Like that was the that was the that was the thinking. Yeah. Um so anytime I did draw something it was like a, a spit in the face to my dad was like focus on on maths or sciences and and so on and so forth. So anytime I was caught drawing um he would rip up the drawings in front of me which was awful. Yeah. Uh um but it also it also like it didn't stop me from drawing. Um I I just learned how to draw really, really fast, which is a great skill to have in the industry right now. Yeah, I remember you saying that that is like a skill that people really try to acquire and it's something that you just naturally, you know, cultivated. Yeah. Necessity. It was, yeah. Ugh. Necessity is the mother of fast drawing? In, no, that's not the same. <laughs> that's not the same. Invent, wait, invention? It's, yeah, it's, inve it's invention. It's invention. Um but yeah um going forward it just got it got harder and harder because um i don't know how to make the equivalency to education systems from here to there but i'm just yeah. going to go with uh eighth grade so eighth grade is about high school right for you yeah yep all right right oh middle school listen i watch a lot of tv um yeah, it would be the tail end so eighth grade would be depending on your school system in the way that they're split up, eighth grade would either be the tail end of middle school or it would be just the beginning of high school, like junior high. Cool, cool, cool. So for me, uh, eighth grade becomes form one um, because we're on the British Cambridge system. Mm -hmm. um, and like for the first two years, uh, so grade eight, grade nine, you're just doing generic subjects. So Instead of doing like social studies, now you're doing like science and geology and so on and so forth. But you're doing like a pretty wide basket of subjects um, because they're really trying to build your knowledge base. Even though I think that's a little flawed, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, yeah. And then at some point we get electives. Um, and this was my chance to pick art. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this. 
uh, I'm, I'm brave enough to, you know, go against my, my parents' wishes and pick the one subject that uh, I think I would do really well in. Yeah. And so I pick art um, and then I get to school on the Tuesday uh, because we didn't have art on Monday or rather the block, the, the elective block um, didn't happen on the Monday. So I get to school on the Tuesday and I walk into the art class and I think it was Mrs. Vidovich, I believe. Um, she's like, no, Bill, you're, you're not signed up for this class. And I'm like, I, I, I signed those forms myself, ma'am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's like, no. And she takes out the, the, my amended form and it's like, oh, it looks like your, your parents called the school and now you're doing economics. Wow. Um, and because I was now like doing ecos i was a little bit behind in the class yeah uh from everybody else who had been doing common subjects and i hadn't felt that deflated about my my art journey i don't i think that is one of my it's not the lowest point but it's one of the lowest points in terms of um i did put my neck out there and then the powers that be still orchestrated against me um Which, I mean, it could speak about anything in anyone's life, really, like no matter how much, even if you are brave enough to take the leap, the the other side of the cliff could move back. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, it sucked. It sucked so hard. And now I'm doing eight subjects. I'm writing my first major exams. I didn't have time to doodle anymore. So I did lose a bit of my edge. I did lose a bit of my spark in terms of wanting to, to create worlds. Um, the substitute was I put all my energy into my two language subjects. So I did English literature and English language. So anytime it was like, write a composition about this vague topic. I was like, I'm going to make the most fantastical nonsense this teacher has ever done seen. (laughs) Um, and it's a double edged sword because it's like, Oh, Bill, can you come read your story to the class? I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Hey, no. No, I know, I know, like I put a lot of heart into that, but I don't need, I don't need anybody else thinking I put a lot of, it's uncool to do those things, man. Like high school is so weird. <laughs> yeah. You were like, this creative energy is going to find a way out. And this, if this has to be it, then so be it. A couple of years later, I'm a writer. Look at that, which is amazing. How does it feel to have your own book forthcoming? I really want to show it to my English teacher. That's what I want to do. You should, you should send <laughs> him or her or them a copy. And be like, signed by Bill Masuku. Remember when I was, you know, creating stories in your class? Well, here's the first one in a series. Hashtag I blame you. Um, I'm, I'm super excited, man. Um, it's, it's the first step of many steps. Yeah. Um, because um, the person I'm really trying to emulate is Donald Glover. Uh, may his soul rest in peace. He's not dead. I just, I wish that he's resting. That's... I want that for he's still around. <laughs> he's he's kick he's alive and kicking. It's just he's multidisciplinary and yeah. I did stand up comedy because he did stand up comedy. Um and I I'm writing and I'm doing my art and I'm A B C D E F G because it is it is possible. Yeah, you stretch yourself thin, but we're only on earth for, you know, a limited amount of time. Yeah. Um and I've like we were talking about earlier, I don't remember if it was offcast, but when that 
that faucet that's the word that's the word i was looking for when that faucet of creativity just unloads on you and you don't have enough buckets to catch that water sometimes it's it's okay to just let it run let it water the grass yeah um and that's what i'm that's what i'm doing that's what i want to do yeah it's i well two things this made me think of two ted talks uh the first one in relation to like being the cup you know of the creative faucet it makes me think of elizabeth gilbert who is the author of eat pray love does a great uh ted talk about how ideas are kind of like existing in this sort of universe where they will find a vessel to be channeled through so like we would be the vessel for that creative idea and if an idea comes to you and you don't pay attention to it or manifest it in the correct way it will go back into that sort of universe until it finds the proper vessel to bring it to life so it's like yeah if if you have the capacity in some way to to give that attention and detail that creative idea then pursue it otherwise it's going to go to somebody else and they'll do it you know but in that same vein another ted talk that i was watching was about how being a slow burn multitasker is probably the best thing that you could ever do as far as like accomplishing multiple projects throughout your lifetime and he was saying that by cultivating uh different projects you are able to solve problems that you might encounter if you're only focusing on one area and he was saying that problems and solutions can't exist on the same plane in the sense that like if you if you're writing a novel for example and you come to a point where you hit a block like you've hit writer's block he would argue that that problem occurred because it's the like everything has been exhausted to that point that it has culminated as the problem so if you were to have another project something that were i don't know like writing for example or maybe i don't know pottery that if you were to take your mental energy and invest it in that other project by doing so you are more likely to untangle the knot in the other project that you were working on because you're dedicating your mental energy to something else. You're not spending all of your time focusing on trying to solve that problem. It will just naturally untie itself. So that's his argument that if you have multiple facets that you can dedicate your time and energy to, you're more likely to succeed in various areas because problems will be more readily solved because you're not dedicating the time to try and solve them, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, Which I think is pretty great. Uh, this is obviously for someone else's podcast, but back when I was working in um, the Children's Museum here in Zimbabwe, yeah. the, the first one, um, it's a STEM-driven um, institution, so science, technology, engineering, and maths, um, which also turns into STEAM with art. Um, oh, hey. And uh, I mean, different places. So the the way the museum worked was it was it was self-guided. Um, even though it was for kids and you need to guide kids to some degree, you just walk in and you start wherever you want. It's like a massive hall um, and there was a, a massive cell. There was a, a heart that you could interact with. There was this um, finance area with the mini market. There was Egypt. There was um, dinosaur bone dig exhibit. And these all existed within the same space. Um, yeah. And 
sometimes if you talk to someone who either was super engaging or someone who's like a, a little bit older because like the general demographic was like six seven year olds but like when you get to like 11 11 12 they start piecing together that although these are completely um separate pieces of information they are interconnected and that if you if you figure out um timelines in in egypt because there was a massive timeline outside the pyramid um you could you could track and understand where the bones fit in in the in the in the dinosaur dig and then it was it was like examining and when you could examine the bones it's like the things that you need to examine the bones are in the science area and breaking down information via processes is in like the chemical labs and then the things you need in the chemical labs are in the shops that you can buy like you know like when we did experiments with baking soda and it's like really the problems that like you were saying, I mean, they were saying, and through you, you were saying, wow, that was a lot, um, <laughs> is that is that you can't have <clears throat> problems and solutions in the same sphere, although those spheres can overlap. So definitely what you were saying is, is super valid to my last job, and I love teaching there, um, and I wish I wish I still had a contact for my, my old workplace, because they really got the STEAM thing in, in a country where... Um, it's sometimes it's the only thing you have and underrepresentation yeah. and all that. But anyway, that's not for me to talk about. I'm here for the book. <laughs> and speaking of the book, one thing that we talked about just before we started hitting record was covers, like the importance of covers. And there was a really cool observation that you had made about readers linking their perception to covers. And I would, if you wouldn't mind sort of, re-explaining that for our listeners because i thought that was fascinating hashtag retweets so now um (laughs) so now um originally because the book the book my book has evolved over time from when i started writing it to now that it's being in final edits um it was really a, a mental health journey like a bare bones one um, and that's how I pitched it to, to Kellen. But she was like, this writing is really good. And I was like, you're just bigging me up because you need another writer. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I learned that um, Sarah Blue does mostly um, fantasy and sci-fi books. So I had to adapt my writing um, to that. Um, so my original cover, which um, spoke more to me because it was like a, a pill bottle themed sort of thing. Um, and like someone in, like there was someone trapped inside the pill, but man, it was super meta. I like, I really liked it. <laughs> um, but it wasn't for the genre, the genre, like you have to adapt your work for the genre and that includes the cover. Yeah. Um, so she's like, take a look at all of these, uh, urban fantasy covers for examples for, for you to get some ideas. Um, so even like, even if you're listening now, you can Google urban fantasy books under Google images and it's all pretty much the same thing. Like it's this um, attractive, but we know in the book they think they are ugly. Um, middle, <laughs> m- er, late late twenties, early thirties person who's muscled but not quite. And supposed to be a teenager. Supposed right? to like, be a, sure. the model is like a late twenties, early thirties, but they're supposed to be a teen in the book. I can't. Uh, that's that's 
speaks to another level of sexualization but again a conversation for another day um right. and there's there's always this weird energy behind the person in the covers whether it's purple or blue there's a lot of blues to be fair my cover is blue um but <laughs> um it didn't speak to me like there was a genericism about this and if i saw all of these books on one table i wouldn't know which one to pick cuz they they all effectively look the same um and that that for me is a major problem that if i put my book like if i had a cover like this and i put it with all these other books how does it stand out like as much as um don't judge a book by its cover you you kind of got to judge a book by its like an actual book not yeah. people like let's not right, mess right, with right. the metaphor um but there was this very i wouldn't say niche cuz i haven't seen all the covers but there was a a small recurring theme of having uh, a demon trap slash uh, a transmutation circle in the background yeah. and fire. Like those two things spoke to me for whatever reason. Um, so when I was making the cover, I made like they are the only things on the cover besides the writing, but I wanted it to have a presence. And I think I nailed it. I think I nailed it. Um, and now I've, I've already like made the cover for the second book. Uh, I don't think Kellen's going to let me show it to anyone, but I can, I can like <laughs> sneak it to, to Nick real quick. Like, yes. it's, it's, um, it's in the, the behind chat. the scenes privilege. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, making, making the band hashtag P Diddy. Anyway. <laughs> so now, Oh, I'm so old. Oh, I'm showing my age. Oh my gosh. Um, stop. <laughs> um, so now that, that definitely spoke spoke to me in terms of when someone looks at a character on the front of this book it's not just about them being you know misaged is that a word it's not yeah. about them being misaged it's it's really your first um encounter with the book your first yeah. meet up with the the demographic for the world and when you do scroll through these covers it's just you know white people like a yeah. lot of them a lot, like yeah, a lot. you were I'm saying still, that like scrolling. the reader will imprint their impression of like the characters in the book and the world in the book based off of the people who feature on the cover. On the cover, like yes, were, because yeah, when when you get into the book, that's that's the blanket demographic that you go with until the author explicitly um, J.K. Rowling's them and you know <laughs> gives them is that i listen i'm going to urban dictionary it jk rowling um and makes them othered in their world yeah um, which is to like post facto like release tidbits of information and be like oh this character's gay oh this character's trans oh this character is black you know like where it's like okay but where is the hard evidence of that in the book itself because thanks to the little you know twitter update on it but it's like if it doesn't actually exist in the pages of the world and, you know, between the covers, then it, does it really hold validity? Exactly. And yeah. I think deeper still, like the... Uh, I, I'm not trying to, like, give her voice or reason, but a lot of the time, like, you don't... Because you can only have a certain number of characters on the cover, unless, like, you're a movie poster, whatever. Um, yeah you seeing this this white and like we assume that they're straight because going forward into the book their romantic interest is immediately noted um it it is difficult for you as a reader to now 
form form um, diverging personalities and identities for the other characters if it's not explicitly stated. Like the author can say, no, it's not that important. It's not that deep. But like as someone who is who isn't typed out, who isn't represented, like hey. it's it's important that you do say that this character is black. You do say this character is gay. You do yeah. say, you know, there's this thing about them that is real worldly. And yeah. and ooh, I had I didn't have a Twitter rant, but I had one angry tweet where I was like, don't make substitutes for black people as half humans, aliens and, and 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 monsters in your fantasy novels. Just don't do that. Like, yeah, those are not your people of color. Those are not your that's not your othering. Those those are fantastical creatures. And oh, oh, it's 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 like, don't remove, like, don't use that as an escape for addressing the issues that exist around people of color, like, period. I love the way you think, and you should write a book. (laughs) I am slowly in the process of doing that. But um, yeah, no, that's a very real thing. As well, Afrofuturism is another thing. That's a whole different podcast episode that I would love to get into, uh, which is for anybody that is unfamiliar with the term and bill correct me if i'm wrong but it's the inclusion of specifically black people in the future because even talking about just the covers of fantasy and sci-fi books it's like you know how often do you see a person of color featured prominently on the cover you know how many books and comic books movies were just beginning to get there even anime and i remember talking to mike tony about this back in november of last year feature people of color as the lead protagonist and the fact of saying that like yes people of color can move forward in the future because historically that hasn't been documented in that way you know it's been a very white narrative so it's like yeah don't don't eclipse that with creating a different race to substitute for a very real issue because you have white people in the future i don't i don't understand right um I think, uh, I don't know if we're almost out of time, but like on this maybe last note, um, the people, people getting angry over the, I mean, people are always getting angry, people getting angry over the term, um, cis and it's the way, the way that I understood it and, and really my, my, my empathy happens without my consent. The way I understood it is that they are going from being people to being mm-hmm. a category of people like everyone else. Just like yeah. white people or white people in fantasy, they go from being people among aliens and then it's like, oh, you're a white person in space. If, if you yeah. have other races there, it's like you no longer are the, the norm. You are just one of many things. And it's very uh, disempowering for someone who doesn't understand that or is coming from uh, a systematically higher place on the scale of power um and it's like well you know i'm not cis i'm just a person and other other (laughs) other categorizations other identities don't get to have that i'm just a person um which is super sad yeah and for anybody that doesn't quite understand the definition of cis which is an abbreviated version of cisgender it is denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender corresponds with their birth sex. So it's identifying with the sex that you were assigned at birth. So um, 
And yeah, that is a very real thing because not everyone is cisgender, as we know. So, Bill, I am so excited for your book. I cannot wait. Um, and it actually comes out this month, correct? Like the the first launch is going to be in South Africa with Sarah Blue. Yes, Joburg, if you're around, maybe you're not, maybe you are, but come through. Um, it's happening yes. on Easter weekend at Icon. Um, that's one of the cons here in, in um, South Africa. I forgot a whole Great. country. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening in South Africa. Do come through if you can. Um, yes. You get a signed copy. Yeah. And you also have some other cons that you're going to be featured at upcoming as well. And where can we find you there? Uh, I will be straight after Icon. I will be going down to Cape Town to uh, give some talks at FanCon Cape Town, which is a heavily uh, comic book scene. Like as much as it's a comic convention, um, sometimes they highlight cosplay or highlight movie guests. This one is specifically for comic books, which I'm happy about. And then later on in the year, I'll be at Comic Con Africa. So that's where yes. all the big the big guests are. Uh, I'm hoping the people who couldn't make it last year, Jason Momoa's and so on and so forth, um, can pull through this year. I'm, I'm super excited to meet um, everyone and all the returning guests and speakers. It's super cool, super cool, super happy to, you know, be a part yes. of this culture. And this is the second Comic-Con Africa because this is the one sponsored by ReadPop. And they were first there last year and returning this year. And Bill is going to be one of the featured artists there. And if you have not, yes, Bill. And if you have not checked out Captain South Africa, which is another of Bill's publications, I strongly recommend doing that to see his amazing art style. And where can we follow you on the social outlets? On the social medias, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at the booting own T H E B double O T I N G O A N. Um, you can like rewind to hear that. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, generally you can find me, uh, on Instagram and so on. Just type in Bill Masugu, B I L L M A S U K U art. So A R T yes. at the end, uh, usually gets you to my art accounts. Uh, so you can see all my doodles and drawings, sketches and concepts going yes. forward. And I strongly recommend giving Bill a follow to see all of the cool things that he is up to, and especially to uh, stay in touch with what is happening with Misfortunism, as we know is going to be a series. So all the updates there, and be sure to get your copy when Sarah Blue drops that later this month. Well, Bill, as always, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your inspiring work and just being like the coolest human ever. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> and looking forward to (laughs) sorry (laughs) i'm blushing thank you for having me it is my pleasure it is always always my pleasure and i look forward to actually meeting you in person one of these days uh hopefully i can make it out to one of the cons and then we can just go from there and i can't wait to get my hands on your book But um, as always, I have been your host, Nick Polifrone. This has been a Typed Out production. And also, speaking of STEM, if anybody has pursued a career in science, tech, engineering, or maths, or you're currently pursuing one, or you were deterred by discrimination, we would love to hear from you. So please drop me an email at typedoutco at gmail.com. We are putting together a podcast series based around that. So... Bill, thank you again. Cheers. And everyone listening along, we will see you again next week. 